Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to another episode of PBT Extra. Kurt Heeland, I am so excited to hear your thoughts on basically everything. Tom Brady <laughs> retired, Brianna Stewart's now playing for the New York Liberty. But first yeah. and foremost, how was your weekend? <laughs> uh, pretty good, pretty mellow, actually. It's, it's been, it's a little quiet leading up to uh, trying to spend some time with the family and go see kids' soccer games and stuff before uh, I'm in Salt Lake for a few days for the All-Star game. So, I, I mean, honestly, when it gets to this time of year, I'm busy with work and I don't Outside of going to games next week to watch LeBron break the record, which we'll talk about later, I'm not doing much. What about you, Corey? What have you been up to? You know, I've been in a weird spot artistically, Kurt. You know, I just there was a time I think if if you if you logged it, there was like the Barbara Streisand moment that I had where I watched Funny Girl for the first time and I told you I was in awe for two hours. Like I literally I watched the movie. I was in like in bed watching the movie on my phone. And I did credits ran. It went black screen. I just couldn't believe it. The end scene is one of my favorite scenes that inspired me for weeks. I fed off of that for weeks. Then I went to the Met and, you know, I found some paintings that inspired me for a few weeks. I went to London. I saw a, a whole room of Titians and a whole room of Van Goghs that inspired me for weeks, but I'm, I'm coming off with a Van Gogh and Titian. Uh, it's just like a big precipice. So now that there's just like nothing, I went back to the Met I didn't really like the Danish art show. You know, I didn't really like the Richard Avedon show. So I'm just kind of like, man, there's just nothing really inspiring me right now. I feel very, you know, it's a dark winter right now, artistically for me. Are you saying, Corey, your highs aren't lasting quite as long and you've got, you've got to find more now? Is that the... No, it's just I just, need, I, just need, I just need to watch something that's beautiful. That's all I ask. You, you will find it. You will find it. There is stuff out there beyond just basketball. There is beautiful stuff out there. Yeah, you know, I think I think with if I it's curious, there's this one, there's this one, maybe I should go back to opera. You know, opera is always all reliable for me. So that's what I do, Kurt. Yeah, I think you inspired me. The Met Opera, I haven't been there in a few months. Last show I saw there was Medea. So I think I need to go because whenever I need to see something beautiful, I always go to the opera and it always is a trick for me. I was just setting up stuff with friends to go see the Met in a theater. You know, they broadcast them to movie theaters out here in the West. So just setting that up with a friend the last weekend so look at that look at that okay now let's get into basketball enough talk of opera let's go <laughs> into <laughs> all our viewers <laughs> yeah okay so lebron lebron james is right there he's yeah. um 38 points to tie 39 to break i'm oh, sorry excuse me you're right 89 points to break uh kareem's all-time scoring record uh it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks yeah. he just scored a 28 point triple double when that moment happens, you know, what, what, what are your projections? When is that moment going to happen? What game? Uh, first off, you can find all this at a, we've got a tracker up at NBC sports, keeping track of how far away he is and projecting the current projections are right on the bubble. Technically he will do it. He could do it. If he follows his, he's averaging 30.2 points a game. So 89 points would be three games out. It would be against Oklahoma city at home next Tuesday night, except 
that's right on the bubble, right? Like one 20-point game or something. They're at home that following Thursday against the Bucks, which would be not only on national television, but kind of appropriate, right? Against Kareem's old original team, the Milwaukee Bucks. There, there's something poetic about that. So I got it. My gut feeling is that's the game. But there, we've been trying to predict this around, you know, people in the Laker locker rooms have, have had these conversations. And it's like, the problem is, if he takes his foot off the gas to try to target a game or make sure he's home, they lose. Like, yeah, we're going to, they needed to rest him back to back. They decided to rest him against the, the, uh, him and Anthony Davis against the Nets. It's a loss and a bad loss. Like, I don't know, Corey, they, he could have to, it could come earlier just because he's got to put up numbers for them to win. I mean, that, that overtime win to do, to, yeah, to have to play that well against the Knicks to, to win, like you're saying, in overtime, it's just kind of like, what else? It's, it's like that classic, you know, picture of someone just like, what else do you need me to do? <laughs> like, what else do I need to do to help this team win? So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And, you know, with the with the calls, too, and the Lakers are an interesting spot because yeah. you know, there's been a lot of talk about officiating and the, the NBA's last two-minute uh, report that they put out. Yeah. And you, you look at some of those Laker games, I've counted somewhere around five games that could have gone either way if they yeah. got the right call, right? So, I mean, what they believe was the right call. Let me excuse myself. So if, if that's the case, I mean, the West is so compact, you know, it's, it's you could really flip the script for them in the postseason. Yeah, yeah and they, that's where the their margin for error is, that there's actually four games, including uh, one in Dallas, one in Sacramento, that they're really kind of upset about. But they also get a lot of calls. Like when you look at the macro scene, they, they kind of benefit from the whistle a little. That said... It's just where these Lakers are. They have to scrap and fight for everything. They need those. That would have been a huge win against a very good Celtics team in Boston. But they need all the breaks. And and it should have been a foul. Don't get me wrong. But, like, they need all the breaks to go their way to, to have a chance so many nights. So you can see the emotion on LeBron to kind of will this team into the postseason. And, by the way, I think the most – and what we're writing about this uh, – I think this will come out – the end of this week or early next week at NBC sports, the condition he has kept his body in to do this at age 38 and be, I mean, still clearly a top 10 player in the league, right? Yes. You mentioned that you're writing this article about his uh, uh, LeBron James's his ability to just be in great shape for a long period of time. You know, when did that begin? Because I feel like there's always this origin story where there's like a young kid who realizes, Hey, I could be great. I, it's funny thing that's he talked about that um, specifically, and I think it's one of the best quotes in the story. He says, "Look, I realized what I, where my career could be headed, and what I could be." He was stretching every morning and every night when he got up in the morning, and then before he went to bed in high school. He was before he was going to bed. He was icing by his rookie year, which guys don't do. Guys don't ice after games. He was icing and doing this kind of stuff early on, thinking about the long term. Now, it, it helps. Look, he, he won the genetic lottery, right? Like, he's, you know, let, let's be honest here. He, he's, he's been given the gift, but there's a lot of people got given gifts that didn't take care of them. And he has more than done that. And I think Greg Popovich talked about it uh, when, when he was in town and, and Doc Rivers talked about it. Everybody else has kind of seen it too. It, it's, it's, and Darvin Ham talks about his commitment to professionalism all the time. Like that's, you know, it's a lead by example thing. Like if you want to be like me, like 
nobody's working harder than me. And I think he saw some of that from Kobe back in the day when they were on the Olympic teams together. And Kobe's the first guy in the gym getting in a full workout before the practice. Like it rubs off on guys. Being yeah, being in that environment certainly does. And Anthony Davis also was very vocal about just like the professionalism as far as taking care of your body is concerned. When he joined the Lakers and, and was like learning about LeBron and sitting in ice tubs and learning all those things from him. Could you imagine Bronny, by the way? You know, LeBron's son. Like if he, I bet. When did he start stretching in middle school? Yeah. You know, like this, this exactly. is like the next step because hey, Kareem. Plus, all that. All like, hey, I've got a. He, LeBron has some of those. I, you know, I, don't, I, I don't know the term for them, but the tanks you step into that freeze you for like 30 oh, seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't have those at home when you were playing high school ball, right? I did not. But the thing <laughs> about this, neither did Kareem. So this is what I no, think is so interesting because you have, you know, like LeBron, he, he's right there, right? We talk about yeah. 88 points to tie, 89 to break, 20-year career. He's in year 20. Kareem was in year 20, right, when he retired. And it's funny because you look at like how athletes train now. You know, it's just different. You have trainers, you have chefs, you have shooting coaches, you have, you have just like a, basically you have to invest in your body. One, you have the money to invest in your body. Like the, the salaries are such that you you can spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on your own fitness. Whereas in, in that age, it, it was not. Yeah. And the, the second piece, too, is Kareem has more mileage on him, too. I mean, he, he played four years of college. So you think also this is an interesting kind of question. Yeah. Um, of like one, how the games evolved, you know, was Kareem shooting three pointers Two, the, you know, the college years, how that affected him. But then the, to be able to think, well, if LeBron, if Dennis Schroeder's comments are correct and LeBron does want to play Tom Brady long in 45, 46, 44, then, I mean, this could be, a, it could take people another 20, 40 years to do this, to break it. Uh, it's funny. You talk to, uh, there's been stories about this recently, but if you talk to people around Korea that watched Korea and the Pat Riley's were he was doing yoga back in the day when nobody was thinking about flexibility, when nobody was thinking about strength and flexibility combined. He was way ahead of that curve, and I think that helped lengthen him out in an era where another former Lakers Showtime guy, and now they're a television color commentator out here, Michael Thompson, former number one pick, uh, Michael Thompson out of, out of uh, Michigan, no, Minnesota. They used to mock him because he'd work out in between games. Like he'd go in the weight room and lift weights. And I'm like, dude, nobody lifts weights. Why are you lifting weights? Magic Johnson, all these guys would kind of mock him. Now <laughs> guys go lift after games, right? Like it's it's amazing how much that has we've learned and the evolution has happened in terms of generally players taking care of their bodies. Yeah, and it's funny because you mentioned this. The early adopters are the ones, you know, who have the uphill battle. But it, I've been around enough Olympians and enough champions to realize that a lot of them are like these, like these, like they're like these scientists. You know, like I'm reading this book about Alexander von Humboldt right now, who is a German polymath and explorer and all this stuff. He was friends with like, you know, like Johann uh, uh, von Goethe. I don't know if you listen, like, you know, read Goethe's books or whatever. But like, um, he wrote Faust. So like it's just like listening to the way that this guy thought about you know the game thought about um, just like it was such an interesting and and almost like shocking way to approach science because he looked at it from a holistic standpoint as opposed to you know individual silos. But you know at first you know people thought he was dumb for asking so many questions. Like he would ask the most simple questions, but he didn't they didn't understand that he was asking them in context of a whole system. Yeah. And it's, and it's like the same kind of things when you when you look at people who are like champions or Olympians. They'll be doing things that no, it doesn't make any sense to anybody else, 
but it's because that you don't have the proper context. Like you're not looking at it the same way that they are. And generally the Olympic champions and, and the, and the NBA champions that I've met who are just excellent, who are like above and beyond like goat status, they think of the game differently. They usually invert it where it's like very, it's almost like it's very counterintuitive the way that they approach the game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always like the early adopters. It's very yeah. fascinating. By the way, I should throw out there, I talked about Michael Thompson and I've left out the one way everybody actually knows him. He's Clay's dad. Like, I should throw that in there. Yeah, very <laughs> he, he had this. He's got rings on his own. He's done all this stuff. But oh, yeah, he's Clay's dad. Like, that's how everybody actually knows him now. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's very interesting. We'll see exactly when it could be at home. It could be, you know, on the road. We'll see. And I'm I, sure I got a feeling it's going to be one of the two games at home next week. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So this is interesting. Just kind of pivoting it to put that into context. I mentioned that earlier, you know, we talked about, you know, the innovation technology context, what that looks like and how that's always changing. But let's think about a young Luca, right? And you think, okay, well, 20 years ago, uh, or 20 years ago, who could even pass this record? Yeah. Maybe you have anointed LeBron James. You know, if you're looking at today, right now, and in the NBA, who do you think that you would anoint maybe in 20 years that he could potentially pass this record? And yeah. this is, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a hard I got question. a feeling, yeah, I got a feeling that person's not in the NBA. Like, I nothing against Luka, but when Luka was asked, his response was kind of like, yeah, playing 20 years? I don't know about that. <laughs> like, um, and he's done a much better job of starting to physically take care of himself over the last couple of years. Um, it would take somebody like that, though, right? You've got to come into the league young, be scoring and, and putting up numbers from day one. And then, you know, we were talking about the conditioning and the physicality, like avoiding major injury that, yeah. that, that knocks you out for six months or a year and, and causes you to miss most of a season. Um, LeBron really hasn't had that. Uh, it, it takes a lot of things and a little luck, I think. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's Luca, and I'm not sure I can think of anybody like coming up like you know, like Wembyama. I don't is he going to play that line? I mean, we're way too yeah. way too early on him to know that kind of thing. I just don't see who I don't see who that person is. But then again, when LeBron entered the league, would, you, would we have thought as great as he was and as quickly as he became great, we thought. He's going to play for 20 years at this level. Like, I, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure it, who it is. Question. Because, you know, like, like the record when, when Kareem passed Wilt, that was back in 1984, if I'm not mistaken, right? So, I mean, yeah. it's been almost 40 years. So, you might be right. It may not be this generation. It may, it may be the one after. It might be. It might be. I mean, it's just, it's going to, somebody who's going to come in and handle, and handle the pressure, by the way. LeBron Jr. in high school on the cover of Sports Illustrated is the chosen one. Like, that's that's a lot of hype to live up to, and you know Gretzky did it. There's certain players who have been able to handle that over the years. Um, this isn't the this isn't the Tom Brady story where he's the sixth round pick. I mean, and this was this was more secretariat where everyone knew he was great before he, you know stepped on the track. Yeah, but I mean it's the same thing with Kareem. I mean, you hear about the way that people oh, talk about yeah. Kareem at Power Memorial High School. There was like this guy is like yes. a high schooler that people yeah. knew. He's like the future of basketball. You, you hear you know, Jerry West talk about it, or Pat Riley talk about it. Like everyone knew this yeah. kid was just, you know, touched by heaven. Yeah. And and these stories out of UCLA, remember, he couldn't play as a freshman under the rules at the time. He could not play. And the freshman team used to beat the NCAA championship varsity team in scrimmages. 
<laughs> something that the legend the legend aspect you know like like we only get a few of those every you know generation someone yeah. to get like that level of immediate greatness Wimbanyama is interesting because people around the league you know immediately they know this guy of course yeah. he's number one overall they know he's like he has the potential to be great however we've seen that body type kevin durant type of body type chet holmgren type of body type you are injury prone you know so it, it can it be done as a as a seven something foot shooter you know who knows uh, but I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be someone in the next generation who is going to just be like, it's very clear, like you are anointed, just like Kareem, just like LeBron, where in high school, you know, this guy is going to be, you know, he's the one. Yeah, exactly. I, they, we're going to know early on and, and then we'll start breaking it down way too early on. Then we'll decide he's a failure <laughs> way too early on. Greg Popovich, I ask you, it's another story for another story coming out next week. Blake got angry about how LeBron was treated early in his career for passing up. Michael would have never passed up that shot. It was it was, it was vintage Popovich when when he gets on a roll. Oh man! So you know, speaking of, of this, this is interesting. We're talking about generational talents. Brianna Stewart. I mean, yes, amazing. I I mean, I watched her play in Tokyo live, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, she she has lost only a handful of college games like in her lifetime she won four national championships. like she was one of the most decorated college players of all time then she went to the WNBA immediately you know translated that success it's clear she's one of the best players yeah. in the league and now she made one of the biggest moves in WNBA free agency history and, and it, there were a few teams involved right but now we've seen uh, her come back home she's from Syracuse she went to school as I mentioned at UConn now she's going to play for the New York Liberty alongside Sabrina Agnescu, the number one overall draft pick from a couple years ago, and John Cole Jones, who was MVP for the Connecticut yeah. Sun. I mean, this is like a super team to challenge Las Vegas' is super team. It's funny because we are all like, man, earlier this week when Las Vegas got Candace Parker, we were like, yeah, they got still got Kelsey Plum. They got Aja. Like, Asia, this, Wilson. This, this, yeah, yeah. Asia Wilson is like. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 that is a superpower team. How is anybody going to knock them off? And then. Here come the Liberty. That's like, I can't wait for those games now. That is just, I'm a fan in general of, in sports, not just basketball, but in general, I like super teams and then teams trying to knock them off. I like that. Hey, who's going to beat the Montana 49ers, right? Like I want that target for to aim at for everyone else. Um, now we got two of them in the WNBA. That's going to be a, that is going to be a fun season. And, you know, we'll see, We'll see how the season shakes out. There's some other quality teams out there as well. Yeah, but I think, but I think what we have here, Kurt, is is the the magic versus you know Larry Bird. Like that's what yeah. I think, in my personal opinion. You know, you, you look at you need you need rivalries. You need great rivalries. I'm talking like two dominant teams going head to head for a long period of time, right? And what you have here, I know Candace Parker Parker's older. Um, so, but the thing is, Asia Wilson is like. She yeah, is like, yeah. homes, you know, like when you talk about a trans, like transcendent generational player, Asia Wilson's that player. Right. And then people believe that Sabrina Inescu can be great. You know, she was, you know, sidelined with injuries, but people believe that she can be great as well. So to think Wilson versus Inescu, and then you have John Cole Jones, MVP caliber, Chelsea Gray, you know, finals yeah. MVP, and you have Kelsey Plum, like, and like, and then of course, like, Brianna Stewart and Candace Parker being kind of like the Kareem, you know, to magic. Like, it's kind of like this crazy concept that we are watching. We are watching like the creation of, of the Lakers Celtics rivalry in real time with the Liberty and the Aces. By the way, the Inescu Stewart pick and roll. Have fun with that. 
How are you going to defend that? <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> but, um, but I think that this is, and I, it kind of gets into another topic. This is an opportunity for the WNBA with this rivalry, with the attention. You know, we're talking about it. Um, other sports shows are talking about it. When you have that kind of attention, I feel like you have to invest. You have to grab it. You have to take advantage of these moments like David Stern understood how to do with Magic and Bird. Like you, you've got to grow the sport in these moments when you have the opportunity. And I think part of that is something Brianna Stewart talked about. It's quality of play tied. It's getting charter flights for WNBA players, which is a right now they are legally bound through the CBA to fly commercial um, during the regular season. They, they, during the finals last year, they booked charter flights, but in general, these players, high level players all fly commercial and it's, Anybody who's flown commercial will tell you that will wear you out and drag it down pretty quick. I, Brianna's pushing for charter flights, and I, I think you'd agree that that's, that's a direction I feel like the WNBA needs to find a way to go. Yes. Uh, it's interesting because this is, you know, every, there's nothing new under the sun. Back in the early 90s, 1991, you know, I was just, I, you know, I love history. I was reading uh, the open letter my dad, David Robinson, wrote to or the Spurs owner at the time, Red McCombs, about this exact same issue. You know, like he was, my dad was arguing in, in the, it was an open letter in the San Antonio Express News in the San Antonio Light. He was arguing that uh, the connecting flights and being able, you know, having to leave the hotel earlier puts them at a distinct disadvantage if they're competing for a championship. The team is just too good, you know, for them not to have the same type of resources that the other teams that are the best teams in the league had. You know, and it did it did result in changes. But it is an interesting question. Like that was the that was the question for small market teams in the early 1990s in the NBA. 30 years later, this is the question not only for small market teams, but for the entire league. Like this is the question for the WNBA generally. You know, so it's interesting to see that lag as, as you know, the time delay. But like you're right. I think the first and foremost, one, you have the rivalry, you know, in the, with the WNBA, right? You had Sue Bird and Dinah Taurasi, and yeah. now it's very clear that you, you're investing in the next generation of stars. Wonderful, right? That's kind of like Bill Russell versus Will Chamberlain, right? Or Jerry West. Like, you had that early kind of, like, ground for the for the beginning of the league. Now we're into the Magic Larry kind of, like, Showtime era, which is going to be crazy and awesome. And so the, – the, and the, and the Olympic dominance that the, the, the WNBA players have as well is just crazy and awesome. Yeah. So, like, it's going to be, like, a really special time, and I don't know, you know, what exactly that looks like, but Kathy Engelbert has to figure it out, like you're saying, because yeah. this is the moment. The iron is hot. And she, she looks like she's very invested in trying to make sure that they take full advantage of this. I hope so. I mean, this has been a league. Sometimes I think it ends up being penny wise and pound foolish. You know, it's $30 million a year estimated to book charter flights for every team in the league, and that's – I don't know. That's that's not a small chunk of change, definitely for the WNBA. But on the flip side of that, I, I, I look. You were you played football at Notre Dame, and I imagine you flew charter everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, you're talking about like six flights, you know, whatever. Because yeah. you know, we only play 10, 12 games. But it, but I get your point, and I and I think the the thing is that's very it's, it's, this bodes very well for the WNBA. One, looking at the history of the NBA, just junior, like I like I mentioned, yeah. you know, like also with pay scales and free agency and like all that jazz that we, you know, it's all in the history books. Like set up this current, you know, just crazy bonkers salaries right now. But the other thing is the fact that the WNBA owners, 
they're willing to spend. It looks like the new the new generation of WNBA owners, right? Like, yeah, I think that's going to be a huge game changer for the WNBA. And I think that they're on the right track. I think the to grow this sport, like this is where you invest, and 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 charter flights is one part of that. But this is where you invest in the marketing and the opportunities, especially. I mean, Las Vegas is a pretty sexy city, but I mean, you're in New York City, man. I mean, like, this is your opportunity in the biggest media market in, in the nation and one of the biggest in the world to really, to really explode this thing. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, we get to see that. By the way, speaking of guys, Corey having a kind of explosive season, Damian Lillard, under the radar lately, has just been dominant. His last ten games dropped fifty the other day at forty three. He is. He is having this season, and he is the focus of your Corey's jukebox this week, which I'm kind of excited about because he is not only a great tune, by the way, but, like, I don't think people are talking enough about how good a year Dame Lillard's quietly having up in Portland because they just haven't been great as a team. Yes. The song Don't Sweat the Technique by Eric B. and Rakim. You know, first of all, you got you to gotta pay homage to the greats in hip-hop. You know, we're, we're paying homage to Kareem. We're paying homage to LeBron. Like, we got to – if we're going to bring him – Hip hop as a genre, we got to bring up Eric B. Okay, you know, like we have yeah. to. Um, secondly, this song, the reason why I chose this song is because the way that Damian Lillard scored 60 against Utah, the way was so efficient. I would use the word hyper efficient. I think, yeah. you know, that's one word. There's a hype in there, I guess, hyper efficient. Um, that is clinical, that's yeah. surgical, you know, and there are very few players who can do that. Um, and also you look at, yeah, I think he hit nine, three pointers, if I'm not mistaken, but like, you look at the free throws, like, it's not like he took 25 free throws. Like, like, and that's how a lot of people get to that level is you get fouled a lot, right? You slow down the game and you get a lot of free buckets and you, you, so like, there are ways to kind of get there. Right. But one is a huge free throw to be that precise from the floor is like Rakim being that precise, you know, in the bars, you know, with the meter, you know, with the rhyme schemes, like he doesn't miss. Yeah, that's actually a great analogy and a great song. And we, I don't believe, have the rights to overplay it or, or we would, but yeah, that would be, yeah. <laughs> I don't think NBC's popping for that one, but it's, um, that's a, that's actually a great analogy because I think he's been through his whole career. I mean, he's had to be efficient, right? Because he's, I mean, obviously he's physically gifted, but he's not. I think one of the fun things about watching him and John Morant had this and going back to Iverson and others is as athletic and talented as they are. Like you can imagine yourself as Damian Lillard in the way you can't imagine yourself being LeBron James, like LeBron, <laughs> none of us were born six, eight two fifty with lightning speed, right? Like none of us were built like Kevin Durant. It's a little harder to envision yourself there, but you can picture yourself as Damian Lillard, right? Like you He's not, I mean, he's not short. He's what, a 6'3", officially 6'2", 6'3", but he's not overwhelmingly tall or just, you know, like John Morant has a little of that, and then you watch him jump, you're like, yeah, no, nobody, nobody, where's the trampoline on the floor? Like, I don't get how they're doing this. That's never quite been Lillard. He's just been since, I mean, what the Weber State, man. And I think that that's, that underdog mentality makes him just uh, easy to love. He's also a rapper. Yes, he is. So that's why I also chose rap. You know, we got we got to like go the the art history of rap as an art form. I'm not a huge fan of rap and hip hop, to be completely honest with you. But I studied the game, and you know, it, you know, it's like we had, but we, that's kind of another tie-in. I think you're you're kind of it's an interesting point you make. I mean, the relatability of him in the way that he plays, but also um, 
you don't become one of the 75 greatest players of all time, you know, by <laughs> by doing nothing, right? So, like, I think that I think that everyone who's on that list did something for the league that was extraordinary. Yeah. Obviously, you know, and and they all have unique skill sets, right? The thing that is interesting about Damian Lillard, right, is not necessarily his range. And I understand, like, range is important. You're probably going to add in, you know, Steph Curry for, like, the guy with range, right? right? There are some young guns trying to challenge that. But I don't think range from shooting distance is Damian Lillard's thing. Like, I think you hit it on the head. I think it's efficiency. Um, that is, I mean, it's crazy, you know, how efficient he is. He, he is very good at getting to his spots and knowing what he can and can He has the range. If you leave him, yeah, he definitely has the range, but I don't think it's like the one defining thing. No. Kind of like people have like, like you know, like certain aspects where you're like, okay, well, he was a great rebounder, or like, oh, this guy was a physical specimen, you know, seven footer and could run like a deer, like, like so, like there are certain things that like everyone has like their one calling card. You know, Carl Malone was so strong, <laughs> like so yeah, exactly. strong, and he was so consistent for so long. I think Damian Lillard's is going to be his efficiency, um, and that and it's remarkable to be that efficient for that long. And and a guy who's been committed to Portland, which I think is just – I think it's great for the league to, in general to see players kind of committed committed to their city, committed to their team. Nothing against player movement and, and the kind of, you know, kind of what drives the business sometimes and certainly right now around trade time. But I, I love guys who have been, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be loyal. This is where I want to be. I like it here. I, I want to win here. Speaking of trade deadline, yeah. what's going on, Kurt? Bill us in. <laughs> I – we are eight days away as we record this from the trade deadline next uh, Thursday, February 9th. We'll just, you know what? I'll just run through some of the big ones. Um, I know we talked, we were just talking about Luca not that long ago. Dallas has put, look, they're basically looking for their second star. It's Dorian, they, Dorian Finney-Smith, who they were shooting down when everybody called. He's available for the right, but like they want a star package player back. The problem is, Corey, what could really do this? trade deadline in as a spectator is there aren't a star available. There's just, there's mm-hmm. nobody. It's not, it's kind of quiet. And I'll tell you, that's why everybody's watching the Raptors right now. Toronto hasn't really decided what they're going to do with the deadline. They're pseudo listening to talks, but they're, they haven't said it. If they come in and Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi and maybe Pascal Siakam become available, then this is a really interesting trade deadline. And there are teams yes. lined up waiting and those are guys, I mean, we're talking about like the Clippers need a point guard. Uh, and they're maybe Mike Connolly went, Fred Van Fleet's the guy, the guy who changes that, right? Like Fred Van Fleet's the guy you can do for, a, can be that guy for a while for you. Yes. I, but I out of that list, if you if you stick with Dallas, like you said, if you're yeah. thinking, okay, Dallas needs a superstar. Oh, they they need, need an all-NBA type of player. You know, if if there's no one available, that's unfortunate. Like, yeah. But if there is someone on that, that list that you mentioned to me, Siakam. Oh, yeah. I no, would yeah. actually, you know, that's like an interesting thing. Because I think they tried Porzingis. It didn't work. Yeah. You know, they, and then if they get someone like a Fred Van Vliet, to me, that's just another Jalen Brunson. You know, so like I think you already yeah. played out that experiment, but a, a Siakam, an All NBA level guy oh. like that next to that, that could be interesting. Now Siakam would be the best fit of all of them. The problem is Dallas has kind of backed themselves into a corner. They don't have a lot of cap space, so they can't forget if these guys as free agents. Going to have to be a sign and trade or, or of, of some kind, and they don't have a lot of. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys on that roster. Teams are Dorian Finney-Smith, the exception, Christian Wood, but there's not a lot of guys on that roster. People are excited about. They do have. They can trade. I think three or four first round picks, um, which would help because you're going to have to. But they're at that point now. They like that. Look, 
they if it's not Pascal Siakam, and it's not you know we can speculate about other free you know superstar free agents who could come available. Um, there's all there's always those rumblings. People are always watching. Hey, is Carl Anthony Towns happy? Is is Joel Embiid happy? Like everybody's always watching. We've seen a lot of coups. Yeah, that's, coups Dallas, Dallas has to do whatever it takes to get the next one of those guys who comes available. They have to put somebody like that next to, or, or you're, or you're, I don't want to say you're wasting Luca's prime, but you're not utilizing it. And by the way, yeah, he's in the first year of that five-year deal, but you got yeah, a couple of years. That, the clock, the clock's always ticking when you got a superstar. Um, yeah, I mean, he's 23 though, Kurt, you know, so the prime is probably a 28 to 32, but yeah, I see, I see your point. And if I've known anything about sports, it's that a contract means nothing, especially yeah. if you're a superstar, you yeah. can force your way out anytime. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's Luca. I don't think he's looking to yet, but if they're this team two years from now, that, that, that dynamic could change. Um, I'll tell you some guys, I think you will see move. Uh, Bones Highland's name has come up a lot in the last few days. Uh, the Denver Nuggets backup point guard. He's not happy there. He wants more minutes somewhere else. Uh, second year, solid backup point guard. A little dri- drives coach there, <laughs> Michael Malone, a little bit nuts, but I think could fit in. If you're a young team looking for some point guard minutes, he's a guy who could fit in and grow with you. He's certainly got the talent. Another name to watch, and we've been watching him all year, Corey, is Jay Crowder. Um, the Jay Crowder market is still out there. The Heat are still interested, but the Bucks seem to be the front runner. They have uh, reportedly been the only team who've been allowed to talk to him uh, about setting what's up. So, I mean, doesn't he seem like he'd be the kind of, I mean, they miss PJ Tucker in Milwaukee, even though they've been playing better. Doesn't getting Jay Crowder kind of give you PJ Tucker light? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Crowder is probably, I mean, he, I think he's a very good fit for that team. You know, yeah. you look at like what is a Milwaukee Buck. You know, like I think that he fits the bill if, if you know, he feels valued. Because I thought that in a Monty Williams Suns team, I'm like, oh, that's like you know, he's yeah. bringing that Miami Heat type of culture over there. Like he fits that bill as well. Like, hey, I need perimeter defense. I need shooting. You know, I feel like he would have been a good fit there until he got unhappy and wanted a trade. So it, it is an interesting question, but I think on a short-term kind of deal, yeah, I, I feel like if he w- is willing to go back and accept a role, um, yeah, I think he'd be a good fit there. I think he knows his role. I just, I'm, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's that next contract. He wanted a P.J. Tucker money after sitting out this year. I don't think he can get that. I'm just kind of surprised P.J. Tucker got that. But I say that, and then P.J. Tucker goes out and – takes MVP front runner Jokic out of the second half of a game this week and reminds everybody like, Hey, this is why you got me when it's 16 games. You got to beat Jokic at the end. Like I'm a guy who can do this for you. Like he's got such value and Crowder can kind of bring some of that. Uh, two teams that watch as sellers really quick outside of waiting for the Raptors. Charlotte is definitely open. You want Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre. Uh, the team everybody's really talking to though is, and I can't believe, more first-round picks are going to be moving. It's Danny Ainge in the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley is available. Malik Beasley, Jordan Clarkson, pretty much anybody. Lori Markinen's not going anywhere. They love their rookie, Walter Walker Kessler. Nobody's – don't ask, not available. But in general, pretty much everyone on that roster uh, otherwise is is available. And I think, I think you'll see movement, but I'm going to let you in. On, uh, Danny Ainge might hold out for some extra picks, Corey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, we knew we knew there's going to be a rebuild there, and I was waiting for them to 
yeah. to just cut up that team and they're they're still the thing is they're still five hundred like through all of this like it you kept like we thought they'd bottom out this year and trade everybody off and it'd be a fire sale but they look like a play in team yeah and I wonder if that's good or bad I don't know yeah yeah that's actually a legitimate good question yeah I mean because I feel like on one hand new ownership new regime. If you can say, look, despite everything we went through, there's still hope. Potentially, that's a good thing, you know. And it shows that the ownership is willing to be like, hey, look, we like, we're not just gonna, you know, play the lottery game. Okay, I understand that. However, well, you also have to think strategically, you know, like, is this? Are you really gonna build a team around Markinen and Kessler? No. You know, and that, and that's like, and this is a hard question to ask, you know. But you have to ask yourself as a as an owner, as a GM, like, well, what is our best bet? What are we thinking for the future? If the answer is no then marketing is like playing at an all-star level right now. This is probably going to be peak of his value, you know, and being an NBA all-star is a huge deal, right? So like, that's a great thing. Do what the Spurs did and, you know, get, get him on the market. Like DeJounte Murray, peak yeah. all-star value, move him when you, when you can. So like it, you have to make the decision. And I feel like the Utah jazz might be shooting themselves in the foot here. Kurt. Yeah. And by the way, I think you're right on marketing being all-star level. They, they, they announced the re, the reserves to, on Thursday. I'd be shocked if he is not the uh, the jazz representative for the home team in uh, in Salt Lake City, which always which always leads to the fun question of who gets more who gets more cheers, LeBron or the hometown hero. It's 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 usually pretty close. It's a toss up. It's always a toss up. <laughs> okay. Uh, any anything else we need to know about with the trade deadline before we wrap up? I just say what it look. Boyan Bogdanovich and both Bogdanoviches, Bogdan and Boyan are both available. But I look, watch the Raptors. If the Raptors get involved, it's going to be interesting. If the Raptors don't get involved, Jay Crowder could be the best player traded, maybe John Collins. Hmm. It's very interesting. I, it, yeah, that Raptors. It's, I remember when we were, oh, when was this, Kurt? A couple of years ago, we were like waiting and waiting and waiting. There were a couple yeah. blockbuster trades happening. We're like, okay. Once Kevin Durant makes a decision, or once James Harden yeah. makes a decision, everything yeah. else, you know, we it will unlock. That domino, yeah. focus, you know, so it's the same yeah. kind of thing with the Raptors. I assume in this in this trade deadline. Yeah, and they, they and, and they may ultimately decide that even if they want to blow it up, they might wait till the summer when they feel less pressure to do it under the deadline. So, <laughs> okay, so now we just um, we just finished up rivalry week in the NBA. So, yeah. this is a question from our producer Dan. If you could go a rivalry, you could be a part of it, or you would, uh, you know, watch, just yeah. be there in person to see it, any era, any time, which is kind of fun. You know, which which rivalry and what sport would you want to be there to see or be a part of? I'm gonna throw that in through. It'd be fun yeah. to be a part I've, of. One. I've been fortunate, or I've been fortunate to see a few. I've I've been to one you were personally involved in. I I've been to multiple Notre Dame USC games, which is a fantastic kind of cross-nation rivalry. One of the best football memories I've ever had is watching Jerome Bettis carry like four Trojans into the end zone one year. We were right at the front of the Notre Dame section and saw it like, you're like, Jerome? That was one of those places where like, Jerome Bettis is just bigger and stronger than everyone else I've ever met. Um, there's And, you know, I've seen with basketball, obviously, I've been fortunate to see Lakers, Celtics and, and in the finals and all this stuff. But if the one I could go to, the one I'd want to see as much as I'm a – I'm a soccer guy and a Newcastle fan and we're watching beat up on Sunderland or something. Um, I want to go to a Classico. Yeah. I want to just be in the stands me, and watch Barcelona take on Real Madrid. Like I, to me, that seems just like the ultimate soccer experience. 
Yeah. For me, the ultimate soccer experience would be Brazil, Argentina, and the World Cup. I mean, that would be unbelievable. It's one of my favorite rivalries of all time. I mean, so to see that play out, and if, oh, that would be like my dream. Then, or to be a part of it, hey, I could be a reserve. I could be a goalie. I'm thinking I'm tall. You know, who knows? Who knows? The the other thing I think would be really fascinating is um, Oxford Cambridge rowing. Oh wow, that is like I mean that's a huge deal. So I would love to see or be a part of Oxford Cambridge rowing. Do you ever go off to the races on the Charles up in Boston? Yeah, so I've never been to the races on the Charles, or you know, it's funny. Yeah. I, I think Oxford Cambridge row on the Thames. Can you imagine? I believe they do. I believe that is true. Like so, and the think about like I was looking at some of these videos and pictures of like regattas in the early 1900s. Sixty thousand people would be going to these things. Seventy thousand people. <laughs> yeah. It was like crazy. So like, could you imagine like in the 1910s or 1900s, 1930s, going to see Oxford Cambridge on the Thames in London with sixty thousand people? Yeah. And then my last one, I feel like, because, you know, I, I was a part of this, and I'm just going to bring it up. Notre Dame, Michigan has to be one of my favorite rivalries. Oh, really? It's is that, so great. Is that it's great energy? In, in, and Ann Arbor seems like a place to be a, a really entertaining place to see a game. Well, I mean, so my freshman year, my second game ever in college was at Michigan. And it was, at the time, was the largest game, uh, as far as attendance is concerned, of all time. I think we had over 115,000 people. And I and I believe it was the first night game ever at the Big House. So that was my introduction. That was my second game. I had my first catch in that in that arena. And it was so loud that I couldn't hear anything. I, I would be sitting right next to somebody on the bench. I couldn't hear anything. And like the actual stadium was shaking. And like I, so for me, Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, Michigan, is like under the lights, is unbelievable. It's one of the, it's like one of the best rivalries. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm not topping that story. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, with that, then I guess we're gonna wrap it up. Hey, I can't wait to see how this all shakes out next week with the NBA trade deadline. And uh, it's the Raptors, the Raptors, the Raptors. Everything is right yeah. now is centered in Toronto. Yep, the, the NBA world is watching Toronto and waiting. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.